I'm Joanna Roach, and you are listening to The Nature of Nantucket, brought to you by the Mariah Mitchell Association. And I am here today with Morgan Black, who is the Library Director for the U.S. Naval Observatory. How cool is that? Welcome, Morgan. Thanks very much, Joanna. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) So what exactly does that mean? Great question. (laughs) Um, uh, We have a a pretty fantastic library here at the Naval Observatory with about 80,000 items in the collection, uh, plus historic instrument collections, glass plates, all sorts of really interesting material. Uh, And what we mostly do is support the mission of the Naval Observatory, uh, which is to keep time. So all of the time on your cell phones, GPS, that all comes from the Naval Observatory. Uh, We figure out where we are in space uh, and we figure out where space is. So we we create the celestial reference frame for space. Uh, Now, what I do is I support that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) The The celestial reference point for space. Yes, yes, reference frame. Uh, Okay, Uh, that is very interesting. And so I'm going to take this wild guess that you know all about Brian Mitchell. (laughs) Oh, well, uh, I'm learning a lot. Uh, She's a pretty incredible figure. um, And we feel very lucky that she worked for the Nautical Almanac Office, which used to be part of the, or which which, uh, used to be separated from the Naval Observatory, but now is a part of the Naval Observatory. Why don't you, why don't we, that's a great place to start because I don't think that many of the listeners really understand that, you know, Mariah had a career with the Navy. <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't believe it, right? But she worked here for 15, 20 years. I mean, a really yeah. a long amount of time. Yeah. So tell us about that. Sure. Uh, Mariah Mitchell was a computer, uh, as I'm sure you all know. And um, essentially what she did was these really arduous calculations every single day to figure out the positions of the sun, the moon, other celestial objects. Uh, And those figures were were published and distributed to, you know, allow for easy navigation. Um, And it's it's really incredible to think about the amount of work that was put into those publications. But the other part of it is she was really part of this extremely patriotic effort um, because before the Nautical Almanac Office was created, we had to rely on other countries to to get this really important critical data. And she was part of the effort to start producing that internally, you know, you know, created by the Americans. Uh, And so that's that's something that's really substantial that that she helped to develop this this nautical almanac office on American soil that that still creates these publications to this day. Mm-hmm. And so she did this while she was working at Vassar and also while she was, you know, living in Lynn towards still the end of her life. Right. She she worked here uh, a few years into uh, her Vassar professorship. Um, but unfortunately, she found that the burden to do these calculations along with her teaching was a bit much. Um, you know, it was a full-time job, and then she had just started another full-time job. <laughs> right. um, but she she did work here from a very early point in her career, just a few out, a few years after the discovery of the comet. She she was uh, employed by the Nautical Almanac Office, so it was for a good part of her adult life that she was yeah. a computer. And I know that she you know was responsible for some of the maps that the Navy used. Yep, I think in coordination with her father. Um, who, you know, worked for the Coast Survey, uh, at least in, in part. Um, she 
uh, astronomy and, and geography and navigation, I mean, there's really no separating those fields. And so her ability to, you know, map the skies and chart the skies in such a way that, you know, she could really pinpoint exactly where we were. And that really helps you to figure out, you know, where you are or where you're going to be. Time and distance is incredibly sort of interrelated. Um, and it's, it's a lot of her calculations that helped us to figure out where we are. Now, I have to, I have to, um, to, to give a warning label to everything I'm saying because I'm not a scientist. <laughs> um, and so my, my expertise is, is the history portion of this, the book portion of this, the publication history. Um, uh, and so uh, I, I want to you know, give you a grain of salt with, with everything I'm saying about, um, uh, about <laughs> astronomy in particular, uh, because we have some wonderful astronomers here at the Naval Observatory who I'm sure uh, will be laughing all the way through as they listen to this. <laughs> uh, no, it's wonderful. And it's a good next question for you. So, so what does the library director do? That's a great question. Um, the, when I first started here, I was, I was warned that the Naval Observatory Library is almost seen as the Library of Congress for the astronomical community. We've been around since the 1840s. And so we're expected, if, if nobody else has resources, the resource that's needed, we're expected to have it just because we've been around for so long and our collection is so broad. Um, and so I have three goals in, in everything I do. I want to know what we have. I want to be able to rediscover it once I know it exists. And I want it to be publicly accessible, whether it's the record or the item itself. And so a lot of what I do, along with my, my staff, my team, is understand what we have, you know, catalog it, process it, record its existence, um, and then make sure that those records are, are delivered to the public because by law, we our collections have to be made available to the public. So even though we're part of the Navy, even though you know you you need to go through military fence lines to access the collection, um, we still are open by appointment to to anybody who's interested in our collections. Um, yeah. So I'm I I think that you have some. Mariah Mitchell things in your collection. We, we do. We have we have a couple. To be honest, a lot of our Mariah Mitchell related material um, is at the National Archives. Um, it was sent there as part of a regular records management process. Um, what we've recently discovered, and as part of this effort to know what we have, um, is material related to Margaret Harwood. Um, and that was a pretty fantastic find because it's a it's a beautiful photo collection. Um, you know, hundreds of photos, most of them unidentified of the wonderful life that she led on Nantucket, um, you know, building modifications that happened while she was there. And, you know, a lot of the international meetings that she attended that were foundational to the establishment of, of modern astronomy as we know it, um, we have those records. And so it's, it was a really neat collection to find almost in a couple of shoeboxes. Um, and, and we are the ones that were able to process it to, um, make a list of the material so that other people know it's here and they can, they can see it and use it if they want to. Wow. So is this a recent discovery, Morgan? Yes. Uh, it was only maybe a year and a half ago or so. Um, I've been at the Naval Observatory for about three years now, so it was pretty early on in my tenure. 
Um, And, uh, you know, we're very lucky that we have excellent relationships with the past librarians here. Um, You know, Brenda Corbin was here for for decades and really kind of created a foundational um, astronomy library that that, um, was emulated sort of around the world. I mean, she was really a, a, a figure in the field of astronomy librarianship. Um, and, and others who have just explained the provenance of a lot of the material that we're finding and, and helped us to contextualize, you know, why it's here, why we have it. Right, right, right. And so soon you're coming to visit us. Yes, I'm very excited. <laughs> and is this your first trip? It is. Yes, I've heard wonderful things about Nantucket and, you know, never really imagined I'd I'd go there for work, um, but I'm really looking forward to working with Jason and, and um, photographing this collection with her so that, you know, as many people can have access to it as possible. Okay. I, I think that's also very exciting. Tell us about some of the other interesting things in your collection or things that are your favorites or most noted by you. Sure. Um a, a big project we're working on now that's taking up a lot of my time that, you know, was completely unexpected um, are our astronomical glass plates. And I know you also have a huge collection of glass yeah. plates that are really well organized you know, from a librarian's perspective. Um, and what we have here at the Naval Observatory are, are I'd say, almost a thousand astronomical glass plates dating from the 19th century, so in the 1880s, 1890s, all the way up through the 1960s and 1970s. And what they're really doing is they're not only sort of a, a, a look through the window into sort of an older sky, um, pictures of, of solar eclipses um, and, and other star fields in really just beautiful ways, um, what I think is fascinating about them is that they're full of astronomical data and astronomical data never goes bad. The sky will never be in the same place again. And so we can still sort of tease out a lot of scientific information from this legacy format, from these beautiful, fragile glass plates that are just illuminate as soon as you put a light source behind them. Um, And what's really also wonderful about them from a cultural perspective is they document these expeditions that the observatory funded throughout the the 19th and 20th century. And so you have these these images of people in Algeria, these camps that they set up all over the world um, to to sort of um, measure solar eclipses and try to figure out at exactly what point, you know, a transit reached the the corona of the sun. Um, I mean, it's really quite stunning the work that they put into these these uh, glass plates and how they really reflect you know a new technology a new photography technology new astronomical technology it reflects traveling you know miles and miles and months and months and ships to get to these uh, far-flung places I mean it's it's they're a really beautiful collection and we're just starting to investigate them Yes, I was going to say, do you think that, I mean, first of all, I think that on the one perspective, it's really so amazing that that's how this process was done. Oh, yeah. Incredibly tedious, but incredibly rewarding is, I think, one way to put it. Um, yeah. And I also think that, you know, going forward, they, they provide a baseline for what this looks like. Right. Or what it looks like 100 years ago or in in the case of some of these glass plates. I mean, how old are the oldest glass plates? They date back to the 1840s. Right. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, to the beginning of photography, it wasn't long before somebody decided to look up at the sky instead and see what happens. Right. Um, right. It was a really scientific, you know, trial and error kind of process. And we're just lucky that they survived because they're really so fragile. I mean, you have the glass part of the glass plate, but then you also have the emulsion, which can very easily flake off or chip off and then you lose the whole picture. Right. Um, so taking care of this material is is really important. Um, yeah. So are you scanning them or tell, what are you doing with them? Sure. Uh, so I'm actually part of this group called um, it's the International Glass Plates Working Group. And it's um, astronomers, librarians, archivists, historians who are all getting together to try to figure out what to do with these amazing historic, you know, uh, glass plates, astronomical glass plates. Uh, what we're doing with them is, is we're scanning them, you know, incredibly high resolution scans so that they can be used for, for scientific purposes. We're uh, developing metadata schemas so that we can make sure that as much information about them is embedded in the actual photo. Uh, and then we're going to make them publicly accessible and people can use them however they like, whether it's for science or for art. Um, I mean, they're really, they're really incredible. And, um, and as long as, you know, we have a digital copy, we can leave the plates alone and, and not worry about handling them so much. Right. right. And where do, you, where do you store all of these? <laughs> That's a great question. The Naval Observatory has been in its current um, area since uh, 1893. I think we moved here, and the, the buildings that we're in, you know, date to around that period. So it's it's not ideal storage space by any means. Um, but glass plates like to be kept vertically um, rather than horizontally because all of that weight will will break the plates. So we've um, sort of MacGyvered, rigged up a, a glass storage, a glass plate storage area in our rare book vault. Um, and that has pretty good environmental control um, and allows us to, you know, make make sure that there's some security there and, and we can record who goes in and out and that sort of thing. Oh, that's so exciting. So, all right, tell me in the same vein, of all the rare books that you have, what's one of your favorites? Uh, that's tough. That's a tough question. Um, I think my, one of my go-tos for, for showing people is, is something that's going to sound very boring. Um, it's a book by Pacioli, uh, and it was the first book to record or discuss double entry bookkeeping. So for all those accountants out there, it's very exciting. Um, and it dates to uh, 1494. So it's called an incunabula. It's from the, the cradle of printing. Uh, and it's just a beautiful book. Um, I mean, that was only a few decades after the invention of print. Um, it has all sorts of um, uh, woodblock uh, illustrations, mathematical illustrations inside. Um, it's a huge tome. You know, it's probably about four, four and a half inches high. And our copy is has a beautiful, you know, original binding with little pieces of furniture, little metal bits on it to protect the binding, uh, blind tooling. I mean, it's really a stunning book. And I and I think it's a great example of the intersection of, of art and science. You know, it it's beautiful uh, binding. It's beautiful uh, printing really shows you that. The, the person, the people who are producing this book, they were invested in the topic. 
Um, there was there was no sort of it was utilitarian, but just because it was utilitarian, it doesn't mean it can't be beautiful. You know, you you venerate the printed word, and and they were really doing that in the production of this book. Um, so that's a favorite. Plus, it's got some really neat uh, marginalia in it, little scribbles from that time period that are that are quite fun. Wow, that sounds amazing. And I love that you are so passionate about your work and inspired by it. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, I feel very lucky to be, to be part of this library. It's got a really amazing collection. Oh, it sounds like it. And I think, you know, we're very excited to have you come visit us. And I know Jason is. And I'll look forward to uh, meeting you and hearing a little bit about uh, the work that you're going to be doing while you're here. So you're going to be working on the Margaret Harwood photos. That's right. Yeah, we'll be we'll be bringing them up, sort of acting as a courier um, and then scanning them. We, we have so much in common, our two institutions, that it seems uh, very much worthwhile sort of starting starting or continuing our relationship together um, and it's really fortuitous because I'm working on ex- on an exhibit with uh, the Library of Congress and the Smithsonian on Mariah Mitchell uh, that's going to be a, an online exhibit and Jason has been super helpful and you know making sure that we're on the right track on a lot of the the different ways we want to approach Mariah Mitchell because she is you know such an interesting person there's so many different tacks that you can take when you discuss her life and her work yes. um, so we're really excited to to now be in, in the circle of the Mariah Mitchell Association yeah. and work with you. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's interesting that you note that because I, I think you, this just begs this question of about women in history, right? And how they don't really get the recognition and haven't historically, no pun intended, gotten the recognition, right? right. Of men. And that it's, you know, 2022 and we're discussing this woman who was amazing in the, you know, 1840s. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of questions of, you know, why are we focusing, you know, on Mariah Mitchell specifically? And I think I think what's really wonderful about her story is, you know, she she might have been the first, you know, American to discover a comet and she might have been the first woman. But, you know, she she wasn't the last. Um but not only that, you know, we were progressing so much, but we've also retreated. And, and there's there's this really interesting forward and backwards in progress that that she can help us illustrate. And so um, I think it'll be a really interesting discussion of her life and her influence uh, and, and really how far we've come since then. Good. Well, I hope when this um, exhibit is ready to go, you'll come back and talk to talk to us absolutely okay thank you all right well if you have been listening i have been speaking with morgan black who is the library director for the u.s naval observatory in washington dc who's going to be coming to nantucket soon to do a little project with our historian jason finger and our podcast is called the nature of nantucket i'm joanna roach thank you for joining us today